there's nothing more powerful in marketing than a consumer or a prospect saying, huh, I've never seen that before. Welcome to On Your Terms with Aaron King, a show about living a life you truly love. Here's Aaron. People used to vote with their wallets, but now they vote with their time. Well, if you're a personal branding expert, an entrepreneur, or running marketing for a large organization, you know that standing out in a sea of noise on social media has never been tougher. So how do you get attention? How do you break through the noise? Well, good news, because today's guest was named one of the top 10 creative Canadians by Marketing Magazine. He's an author, speaker, producer, entrepreneur, and he has been an award-winning ad writer and creative director for some of the world's most respected brands, Air France, Evian, Hershey, J&J, Kraft, Intel, Microsoft, Volvo, and many others. He's the founder of Church and State, the host and executive producer of the hit podcast, The Coup, and has published a book called Think, Do, Say, How to Seize Attention and Build Trust in a Busy, Busy World. Ron Tite is an in-demand speaker all over the world, talking about leadership, disruption, branding, and creativity. And he brings incredible stories and case studies to help us break through the noise and build trust in today's crazy online landscape. Friends, here's Ron Tite. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of On Your Terms. I'm Erin King. And guys, I got to be honest. Our guest today is someone that I have been so stoked to get on the show for months and months, actually technically over a year, ever since I saw him speak in Las Vegas at Virtuoso Travel Week. This guy got on stage with his Canadian accent and his big energy, and he brought down the mother effing house. I loved it. (laughs) Guys, welcome to the show. The very talented writer, author, speaker, entrepreneur, podcaster, producer, agency owner, and my friend, Mr. Ron Tate. Well, thank you, Aaron. That's so nice. That was a fun, that was a, a great gig. Uh, that was in the, like, that was the first travel, right? Coming back into yes. the pandemic. It was my first trip. And it was like the first trip when you're going to the Bellagio. <laughs> right, like, we had our masks on. Oh, when yeah, masks was, are on, they're off. Are yeah. they on on the stage? You're taking them off during Q&A. It was wild. It was wild. It was like, it was like, it's the best way to go back. It's like right in the belly of the beast. Let's, totally. let's go. Totally. I remember we were standing out in the hallway doing some uh, some media. And after the interview, I'm like, I haven't been on stage since like 2020. And you were like, me neither. So it was kind of like <laughs> dusting off the, the stories and the content and we were experimenting, but it was fantastic. Yeah. And what I really loved about, about that time together in Vegas was sort of this, you were talking to a lot of these big leaders of these travel industries. And, and one word that really just stopped me in my tracks is you said, you know, we're talking a lot about when things go back to normal and when we recover from this, when when we can sort of stop reacting to all this change. And, and you said something that I thought was really interesting, which was like, hey, recovering is this idea of going back, which if we're being honest as leaders, isn't really an option. And do we even want it to be? You know, instead, what if we lean harder into this idea of reinvention, of growth? And it's just a small click of a mindset. But when you planted that seed, man, every head in that room was nodding off. So so 
this is your next book too, by the way, spoiler alert, but tell <laughs> us more about like, so at what point in the, I guess the pandemic journey or in your agency, did this idea start to come to you where you're like, okay, this is what's on my heart that I really want to share with the world. It was really early on because I had, it was a wild time. Like those first couple of days is, you know, people like you and I who do this a lot, the 11th, the pandemic was declared the 12th. We just responded to emails that said, cancel, 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 cancel. Yeah. Yeah. And the evening of the 12th at three in the morning, my wife said, we have to go to a hospital. And we went and had a baby the next morning. She she had the baby. What? That's and insane. she had the baby. She had my wife had a, you know, we had our second child two days into the pandemic. Oh my God. And I was in this weird emotional, like I grew up quite poor and I just, you know, I kind of thought I'm, this is when someone comes and taps me on the shoulder and goes, you're not supposed to be here. Mm. You, mm-hmm. You've been found out. Come with me. Mm-hmm. And I thought I'm going to lose it all. I'm going to lose all of it. I'm going to lose all of it. Cause I have an agency with 25 people and I just lost every speaking gig and my house is under reno and I just had a second child and it just, and it was this weird Dang. funk. And then hmm. I watched a video. I don't know if you know Peter Katz, but Peter's a great speaker, a great musician. And I watched this video one night of Peter, of him teaching other musicians about like how to do a virtual concert. So he was teaching musicians of like, this is how I plug into Zoom and this is the amp I use, and this is the camera I put it here and I, you know, and everything. And I'm not a musician, but I watched this and I thought, oh, we're all students right now. Like, what yeah. we're all doing? We're all... And so I gave myself a kick in the ass. I wrote a script that night about embracing it, embracing the pause. And when it was for a client who's a college and the line that I wrote was, no, this isn't on the test. This is the test. Mm. And I, I, as I wrote that line was like, this is my test. This is my test. I got two kids. I got to Let's go. And a couple of days later, I stayed up all night and learned the tech and immediately was like, I'm in on virtual keynotes. And then it was just this idea of like, I'm never going back. It's not that I'm never going back to stage, but I'm never going back to this isolated world of that. And now it's all about how can I embrace the limitations imposed upon me to reinvent myself with new inputs and new outputs. And on the other side comes this whole other new person that has embraced the crap we just went through and used it for our advantage. Because if we just stop and go, I'm just going back to the way I was like, what a waste, what a waste of what now three years of going through the crap. So I, I really believe this is not about going back to recovery. It is full stop about going fully forward towards reinvention. Mm. It's interesting because we had an identical experience minus the kids in the reno, which (laughs) from a fiscal burden standpoint, just psychologically, particularly traditionally being the man of the house, you know, it's just, I can't imagine what that was like, where you're like, I've come so far, I've transcended my backstory. And is this really happening? What the fuck? Right. So what we we labeled everyone that we came across in in our office people were either on one of two teams they were on team wait wait till it gets better wait till we get the vaccine wait till things and and then our other team was team create create reinvent iterate we have duct tape what can we put duct tape on and and i really do believe that that those two options of a mentality or psychology that either you leaned hard into or you put your fingers in your ears in that period has 
irrevocably reshaped how we show up here, time of recording, early 2023. Mm -hmm. And I don't know about you, but it's interesting because there is sort of this mourning of who we were before and, and, and almost this, this discernment of who we want to step into mm-hmm. after. Like there was so much we wanted to leave behind that we never even realized was an excess. We never realized was an overcomplication, an unnecessary expense, even just a version of your life that you decided you didn't want to live anymore. So, so for you personally, before, because you're such a wealth of knowledge from your agency background. I mean, you're a brilliant marketer. We can talk digital. We can talk metaverse. We can talk client campaigns. I mean, you've worked with you know Google and nonprofits and unions and all these really impressive brands. And I want to tap into that part of your expertise for sure. Before we go there, though, just personally, Ron Tyke the human, what is something that was a part of how you approach your business and your life before the pandemic that you let go of? Or that you that you thought differently about that there's a part of you that maybe mourns that part of Ron a little bit, or is kind of like, gosh, I can't believe I'll never feel like that again, or do that again, or believe that ethos again. Well, there was. What's interesting is when I used to so I you know have an agency, but when I was on the road, I was on the road. Like, what am I going to do? Call in on a conference call with a client meeting? No, I'm not doing yeah. that. So I would go on the road and it was, I just wasn't that involved at all. And then I stopped traveling. And so I got involved, like really involved in the agency yeah. and the clients. And then the thinking was like, oh, when it goes back to the book, well, well, no, I'm not going back to that life because now everybody's virtual. Yeah. Or mostly, you know, we have an we have an office, but it's we're kind of hybrid. So for me to dial in from a meeting from a hotel in San Diego is no big deal because other people are in the call from other places. Yeah. So it's just meant that I'm more dialed into the daily application of the ideas that I share on stage for clients, opposed to being these two separate worlds. It's now a spectrum of like Ron on stage or Ron in the boardroom and and their 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 spectrum isn't as or the spectrum maybe is a little bit wider, but there isn't the, the clear defined line between the two. Almost as if you've moved away from church and state. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. Yeah. It's the unification of church, i.e. speaking and state, i.e. agency. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Well, well, your last book that you published right before the pandemic, Think Do Say, I love Think Do Say. It's this idea of like what you think about your purpose, what you do with your behavior, and then is the way that you're showing up from a communication standpoint really amplifying that belief system in a way that's authentic and juicy. And that was kind of how I'd sum up your book. I thought it was fantastic. Thank you. How how has your approach shifted from when that book, because you wrote it right before the pandemic. And so are there, I mean, obviously it was very evergreen, but are there elements of that strategy that you were talking about on stage that you have sort of evolved in the last couple of years, getting back on stage here in the last 18 months? Totally. You know, it was the think part around this idea of brand belief and purpose was a, a lot of the time spent in when I was writing and speaking was about cutting through, right? Like, how do you like, how do you believe in something more so you can cut through and win the battle for time and build trust along the way? Like, that's what it was really about. And then it wasn't that the pandemic pandemic happened. It was that we uncovered a whole bunch of social injustices. Mm -hmm. We got 
what we refer to as exhaustion, which is like people exhausted from dealing with causes and giving and sharing and being supportive. Mm. So they became really exhausted around causes. And we kind of got kind of the, the BS around purpose of people kind of faking it and just taking out what the latest, you know, uh, social injustice that was highlighted. And it's like, what is it? It's the environment. Oh, we hear X, Y, Z company believe in saving the planet, you know, <laughs> it was just, and then, but the, there's been such a massive shift to, we literally have now ended, in my opinion, the second, the, you know, there's kind of three eras of modern business. The first era of modern business was the management era when a bunch of owners said, I want to grow my plumbing business, but I'm not a business person. So they went and hired MBAs. That was the first era of modern business. The second was shareholder value era when they said, what? The manager's making a lot of money. So no, we're going to drive shareholder value based on Milton Friedman's work in 1970 and, you know, and kind of certainly paraded out and promoted by people like Jack Welch and it yeah. was shareholder value era. And then as we kind of come to this, you know, really critical time, we're starting to uncover all these social injustices, like, well, maybe business is the problem. And maybe we need business to be the solution. And that maybe business needs to stand for something more than just shareholder value. That maybe we need to support our communities and our employees and our suppliers. And so purpose becomes something so much more. Well, at the same time, balanced with this, it's almost a paradox of like, but not too much because then it's BS, right? If you just say you're all about the environment, but it's not intrinsically linked to the thing that you sell. So we have this, this line that we use with clients, which is we believe this, so we do this. And so we believe that we should save the planet. So we make cars. Doesn't work. Right. It just doesn't fit. So it allows you to test your purpose to, to see whether it's intrinsically linked to the thing where you make your money. So purpose, it's been a complete redefined in over the pandemic, not because of the pandemic, but because of all those other things. CEO McCain said, I think there's a growing belief that the interests of business aren't necessarily aligned with the interests of society. Mm. And that's a shame. That's a shame because for most of us, yeah, we don't survive. People don't buy houses if the middle class doesn't exist. This right. is not a moral. And we moved from this, this to summarize it. I should have started with this answer. We moved from it being a moral imperative purpose to being a business imperative. This mm -hmm. is business now to mm -hmm. quote a Queen's campaign. This is business now. Well, it's interesting, right? Because at time of recording, we are in this space where everyone's freaking out about a recession and the economy and the Fed and the rates yeah. and the housing prices are tanking. And and I can't wait to listen to this episode, hopefully in 12 to 18 months where we can be like, haha, that was right or wrong. But moments <laughs> like this during podcasts, you're always like, what's the prediction going to be, right or wrong? Yeah. But when you think about this idea of purpose, you know, purpose feels like this luxurious contemplative mindset that we are allowed to thrive within because we're in a we're in a fiscally thriving environment when you think about profit profit's more of a survival mentality like purpose is thrive and profit is survive it's kind of i think yeah. the message that we get in an environment like this because thinking about things to your point earlier about economic injustice and shining a spotlight on inequity it's like 
So DEI was, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion was the jam for the last, you know, it's all people were talking about. We're hiring a head of diversity. We're, and I had this great actually guest that you would love this episode, Dr. Tina Opie, who is this amazing consultant in DEI. And she explained to me the difference between what diversity means, equity, and inclusion. Very different, all three. So yeah. by the way, listen to that episode. If you're not sure the difference between the three of them, I found that very helpful to understand sort of where those lines fall. So I read an article actually the other day that said that because of the differences, people are laying, there's been mass layoffs lately, people are changing their workforce, that one of the hardest hit areas when people get into that scarcity mindset, that survival mindset versus an abundant mindset versus a thrive mindset. Well, interestingly enough, people that were being hired to lead DEI programs are now the first ones on the chopping block. So yeah. full circle to your, your point, it's like this virtue signaling, these, this, this optic around our heart-centered empathetic narrative. Well, it's interesting when the rubber meets the road, how that shifts. And so, yeah. and so if, if, if someone is listening either from a personal brand standpoint or they're a CMO of, of a monster real estate company, you know, how should they be thinking about the evolution of purpose in a landscape where there is a scarcity tide that is rising. The why you use it is because you need, to, in cases like this, this is where you need to uh, kind of crystallize what we would call your essential do, right? You crystallize what it is you do in a, in a really good way where your highest margin work is. And then from there, how do you diversify your portfolio of services so that you can mm -hmm. use this, let's call it a little bit of downtime. If you're real mm -hmm. estate, this is what I call the 10-year seasonality, right? Okay. It's 10-year okay. seasonality. That's all it okay. is. We know this yep. happens once a decade. Yep. It's just seasonality over a decade. And so what do you do in that time? Well, what you do is you commit to growth, but it's personal growth. So it's personal growth. And the personal growth means you re-solidify your foundation, which is like, okay, we're going to go back. We're going to re-solidify that purpose. Now, once we have that, we're going to make what we currently do more efficient so that we can save money, we can save margin, we can build in tools to make it deliver and make it even more efficient. Why? Because when the good times return, we need to go and crank and go as, as far yeah. and as, as, as fast and as hard as we can. So we can't be putting oil in the engine when the engine's got to speak, you know, like we got to do that right now. Now is the time mm -hmm. to do that. And then the personal growth side is now we start to go, okay, I'm gonna, I've, I know what my purpose is. I'm now gonna try and apply that purpose in diverse ways, so I get a diverse portfolio of services. So if you're in real estate, for example, how can you use the purpose to diversify your, your services? Let's yeah. say your purpose is you believe that the first house is the most important house. Okay. okay. Believes goes a little bit beyond what you sell, but it ties you to like, I'm in a first, first home buyer market. That's where I'm really, I'm really great at. Okay, and you know that you're in a recession. So what can you do to, to uh, diversify your portfolio? Well, if you fundamentally believe that the first home is the most important home, it's not just about selling that home, but it's about preparing people for that home. So how can you right now be preparing people with behaviors that have nothing to do with buying a house, but it's that preparing for them to buy the house? Mm -hmm. How can you prepare them to make their apartment or their condo livable until interest rates come down a little bit so they can afford to buy. How can you be there to provide services for people that diversifies your portfolio and allows you to deliver what you really, really deliver, deliver really, really well? Can mm -hmm. you, for people who, who are in their home, the first home that you got them, they might be stressed about work. Can you be coming in and providing property management services 
to them so that they don't have to worry about fixing their hot water heater filter and, you know, like all that kind of stuff. If they're yeah. stressed about other things, can you be coming to them with Airbnb opportunities? If you know that their mortgage payments are $500 more than they were like, what can you be doing for yeah. that person? And that's where you explore new business models. You explore new business products. It's the thing that's always bothered me in the real estate space is that people have always like, all I do is sell houses. That's all I do because it's the highest margin business. Yeah. You speak to any contractor and the contractor says, you got to be willing to fix the front door if you want to do the full reno. You got to be able to take the low margin stuff in order to get the big, big stuff. You got to provide services for people that ladder up to a broader purpose because nobody's yeah. purpose should be, I just sell houses. Yep. It's so good. And it's interesting, you know, when you think about, when you think about kind of not just why we're working, what we're focusing on, but where we work. Okay. So this is the biggest shift. Talking about, let's let's move into CRE, the commercial real estate, right? It's like yep. all these monster buildings are just sitting there collecting dust and what are we going to do? And, you know, these big campuses and there's this huge tug of war, you know, the old school boomer bosses are like, get your asses back in the office. And then <laughs> the, like, you know, the young millennials and the Z's are like middle finger, I'll go somewhere else. And yeah. it's this war for talent. It's this war for physicality. It's this war for control and power. Also sort of a, to your point, reacting to go back to recover we have to recover our investment on this campus so there's so much swirling around that space that even if you're a realtor and and like you mentioned airbnb you mentioned property management services i mean one of the biggest things right now is like okay your house is now your office you know yeah. so is there an opportunity for do you partner with a contractor? Do you say like, we're going to make over your space so that you don't have a dodgy Zoom background? You don't have to yeah. put unicorns and rainbows behind you because it's like you have a proper office, right? Or or what are some creative ways to take that storage closet and make it so that you can, can't hear your wife or your husband, you know, yammering on his call two doors away? I mean, these are the, these are the problems that the modern homeowner now has. So how can you yeah. serve that and improve property value for the future, right? Exactly. Like the first partnership deal that should have gone out for every homeowner was uh, enhanced broadband access. Mm -hmm. Like you now got every person in the house sitting on the same, you know, wireless uh, Wi-Fi. Now we're going to come in. We're going to we got a promotion with AT&T or whoever. And we're going to and we're going to bump up your bandwidth. Yeah. But because people are so focused on the typical sale, they don't kind of they don't they don't see that. And then in the broader company entrepreneurial space. I agree with you that the virtual back to the office thing, what we've done is we've, we're still hybrid. We've told people, hey, we kind of expect to see you one day a week, but whenever, whenever you want to make that happen. And I'd rather that people want to come back. I'd rather create an environment because there is great collaboration that occurs in person. And I do worry about, I mean, I don't care about work friendships because I get two kids and I've got a career full of friends and stuff like that. But people starting their career, like those early friendships from work, I think they're really important. They're really important totally. to mental health. They're really important to your career. They ground you. I just had coffee with someone this morning that I worked with like 20 years ago and she's still a great friend. And I worry about that, but I'm not going to force anybody into that. I'd rather yeah. they kind of experience that organically. Well, I love that. But I think what's interesting is, is it's like, okay, you're saying, I don't want to force an employee to come back, but there is just, I had such a beautiful experience with my first people that I'd like people that I care about 
to have that experience. I mean, two of the gals I worked at my very first job 20 years ago were in my wedding. One of them now runs my company. Yeah. And we made it honoring each other's wedding. I, mean, I met her the first day on the job at Fox 45 in inner city, Baltimore, you know, Maryland. <laughs> and it's like, and she knows all the old stories of being 22 deer in the headlights and, you know, all Sorry, just, can I just do an impersonation? Yeah. yeah. Hi, I'm Aaron King for Fox 45. <laughs> <laughs> and then I, before that, I was a radio DJ at 98.8. We're high on the mountain, low on the dial. <laughs> I love it. And we were high on that mountain. I'll tell you that. Okay. So, so, but no, but it's interesting. I mean, I think this is a good conversation for a lot of reasons. If you're a business owner and you're looking at the storm on the horizon, like nothing is worse than feeling like something is coming, you know? And you're like, right now, we just went through something really traumatic. We're all just kind of getting our shit together. And then there's this whole thing on the horizon. So we're almost in this like sandwich energy of like, just survived it. Kind of feel like we're battening down the hatches to hit another storm. And that's a really weird Oreo psychology to be living in. Yep. So, so if for the brand marketers that are listening to this, how should they be thinking about their messaging evolving now to sort of get out in front of it? Or is that just crystal ball, like wishful thinking? Like, what are some of the best practices? Because you have so many huge, like Fortune 100, Fortune 500. Like you, you do some big high-level strategy for some yep. giants. So like, what are some of those conversations that you can share with us where you're sort of hearing how they're thinking about preparing for consumer psychology to evolve? Yeah. So I think, you know, first and foremost, it's, it's about transparency more than anything. Yeah. Because there's some industries where people are like, we're getting hosed, you know, like people are taking advantage of us. And there is these meta trends that these big global meta trends that are having an impact on people's psychology, consumer behavior, which is everything from, you know, like executive CEO compensation to the roof, the erosion of the middle class, the kind of going from global to local, like from the, the people who the somewheres versus anywheres, like all this kind of floating stuff that has made people kind of really insular and is and they don't trust anybody trust is yeah. at an all-time low for government yeah. and for business yeah and that's been heightened over the over the pandemic so one is like honesty and transparency is, yeah. is the really really critical the second thing is uh, complete authenticity that one thing we didn't see i think over the pandemic was we you know there was like you every you and I could just do every commercial they aired, right? That like cue the soft piano and bring in Donald Sutherland, you know, action. <laughs> and it's like we're a family here in these uh, unprecedented times. Yes, right. <laughs> and more and more people are like, Ugh, okay, I've heard, I've heard enough about this. So it yeah. really is about being completely authentic about it and trying to solve people's problems. Yeah. And I know this sounds ridiculously simple, but, it, you know, it, people have problems that we think they're only emotional or that we think they're only financial problems, but they're actually emotional problems that that people have of the uncertainty. I think if you can if you can identify where people are really, really concerned, is it about. So let's say people are concerned about their jobs, right? There's someone I know who created this amazing insurance product that if you if you need to buy a car but you're concerned about your job it's insurance that if you if you lose your job and you can't make your payment you just get the car back wow you get the car back wow and so again it's not a financial problem yeah, it's an sure. emotional problem that they have yeah. they're hesitant to buy the car cuz they're like what if what if what if so you put an insurance insurance in place to say no big deal you can bring it back if you lose your job mm. oh 
Okay, right. now that's um, really amazing. That is so amazing. Even like just the safety psychology that they've created there. I mean, to feel safe with something that is so laced with fear, especially in these times, it's, that's like a, that's like a triple winner. It's like you get the car, you have this this lack of future potential fiscal fear, and then number three, you actually get to experience the feeling of safety in yep. an environment where that feeling is scarce. Yep, and that's genius. Yeah, there's we all for brands, we all think we know what the obvious problem is. There's a, a, an interesting anecdote here that I did a, a speech just before the break for a global pharma company. And I was in the room for this big team and they had they brought in a Zoom call. So, Aaron, you you know how the beginning of meetings in the you know hotel ballroom mm, go. So uh-huh. they bring in a Zoom call with four people, a moderator two people whose lives were saved by the drug made by the company, the oncology drug that was made, and a fourth person whose little son's life was saved, right? Now, you might think, okay, the, the problem they have is they just need the medication. Like, it's a life and death health situation. That's it. Yeah. And once they got the medication, whew, you know, job is done. And that's pretty much what the company thought. We do God's work, you know, we make the drugs what they have them and we're good to go. And they said, what could we do better? And the mother whose son, uh, his life was saved, said, you know, once we had the medication, that was great and all, but you, you deal with thousands, thousands of people who are going through this. I've never been through this. You can only imagine the emotional turmoil this had on my life, the emotional roller coaster. What I really wanted once I had the medication was someone to hold my hand. And you have all this experience with all these other people and what they go through. I've never been through it before and nobody helped me with that. And so Mm -hmm. I think as that's a really hyperbolic example, but brands have hundreds of thousands of customers. You have data of what people are going through. And the very line is what we're finding is, is so powerful. Based on everybody else, what we're finding is that people are are spending their money in here and here, or they're they're doing this right now. And so, and so many brands have that data at their disposal, but they haven't put in a process where they've kind of, you know, kind of accumulated the data and analyzed the data, pull out insights and create content around those insights. But they've got you've got all that experience, and very few brands actually share it. Oh my gosh. Okay. Let's talk about this. So what, just to run it back for a second, what Ron is dropping is serious knowledge bombs for all marketers listening. There is no need to create this. What might they care about? What might they love? What, like, even though it's fun to make predictions and have an hypothesis and you feel like you're able to play God and create the future, like these data, these these insights are here. These analytics are here. And I'll tell you, one of the most incredible stories that I can share, it's not quite as touching as yours, it's a little more business B2B kind of case study, but we were working with a really big radiology company. They're Fortune 100. You definitely have something in your house that they've made. And they were making these MRI CT machines. And they were, they're not the biggest player in the game, but they're like a middle, middle of the road. And so all of their marketing messaging was around, obviously, the features, the benefits, it's reliable, why the machine's amazing, da, da, da. We've heard it before. 
And as we were creating their marketing campaign for this annual big conference trade show where the, the big, big guys, the top three of the big, big booths, they had like a mini booth. Then you have like the sad, dirty 10 by 10s down the road, right? So <laughs> so we were like, what is our marketing message? So they went through their data and they they basically did not your classic corporate survey, but they did anecdotally survey the sales team. And they were like, what are you hearing? Why Why do they stay with us and not go to the big guys? And long story short, what surfaced ultimately was that it wasn't because they had the best scanner, the best pricing. It wasn't because, you know, any of the reasons you would think. What they ultimately found in surveying their entire global sales force of like 3,000 reps was that they were the only company left in the top 10 that when you called the headquarters, problem with the scanner, da, da, da. They were the only ones that still had a human that answered the phone and didn't make you go through the press one for this, press two for this, press three for this. And all these old school radiologists were like, I hate the system. And you didn't put me in a system. I called a number like it was the 90s and a human answered and they would tell me what I needed to know. And they weren't like, I'm sorry, did you say this? And they're like, no, right. They said just the joy of being able to connect with another human makes it completely worth paying more, maybe having a less accurate, like all the things. Like I just want to talk to a person and you guys are the only ones still doing it. And so the takeaway is it might not be what you think it is, number one. Number two, to Ron's point, yes, okay, maybe you're like, oh, we don't have, you know, the capabilities, our data. We don't have the right software, the tools. We don't have the fancy. You can just, you can pull the sales team knows what's up. You can even just do anecdotally, you can gather anecdotal air quote data to surface the real reason why you, particularly in a certain time period. And I just, I love that you brought that up because it sounds like you said earlier, so simple, but common sense is not common practice, right? Yeah. You can do it just from sales data, right? We're, we're finding. So one of our clients is Google, you know, one of the things we found or that they found in in um, we did a bunch of work around like pre-holiday work for retailers. And it's like people were searching for gifts, like gift searches were up. So it was like it was all this contradiction of like, are we heading towards a recession or not? So like people were like really looking to spend, but they were ranking gifts by price. And that the rise of ranking gifts by price year over year was through the roofs. Like, yeah, they're really eager to buy, but, you know, so that says a lot about we're still comfortable enough that we're buying, but we're going to rank by price. And we're probably going to be a little bit more responsible in our, in our choices. And it was like, we're looking for vacations, but we're looking for deals for vacations. Mm -hmm. So they're Mm -hmm. still buying, but buying responsibly. And so those kind of like, what is the equivalent of that data in your organization, be it hard data or anecdotal, you know, that you can share with your customer base. Mm-hmm. It's so good versus ranking by bestseller, ranking by reviews. I mean, that's a big shift. That's really interesting. Yeah. Okay. So a little bit of a pivot. So you are an attention expert. You have created a podcast that had an award that beat out like the mainstream media in Canada. I mean, you have written children's books, you've written business books. Your agency has worked with like the world's biggest brands. You're a kick-ass keynote speaker. You've produced television shows. Like I want, I want to tap into like the Ron Tite wealth of knowledge. You know, we're a little ping-pongy because it's it's Ron Tite. So it's like I need all the <laughs> info of all the categories. You're a Gemini. <laughs> so I mean, this seems like a hard left, but but of all of your case studies and your campaigns, because your expertise is attention. And I think right now, I mean, 
people have been talking about attention spans and goldfish and all this stuff forever and ever, right? Yeah. And one of the arguments that I make in one of my talks is that it's not that we have short attention spans, it's that we have self-attention spans. And mm-hmm. that's one of the shifts that we, I like to talk about is like, what does that mean, okay? But you've worked with all these huge brands over the years. Is there one brand or story, you don't have to say who they are, but where you guys really figured out how to cut through the noise? Like it was, it was like you got the attention and like, what was that question that you asked? Because you know, in today's time of recording, 2023, Instagram is a total cesspool, reach is dead. I mean, we are fighting to like get out beyond like our mom and our grandmom to see our posts. Like that's, that's where we are. Yeah. So what was, what, what happened and, and how did you think about it to figure out how you were going to find those, those coveted eyeballs? There's a whole whack of them. I think the one, the one that's like the simplest, I think it's metaphorically, this was when I was executive creative director at Havas and we were working with Kraft on Premium Plus, which I think is in the US is like premium saltines or something. Okay. It's like the saltine cracker. Delicious. Um, and it was just like, hey, you add these crackers to like soup. That was the main insight, right? It was like, how do you just make soup better by adding these crackers? And so you can go at that a million different ways. And you can write funny lines, you can write funny scripts, and you can like, and part of the way to do it is like, what's the simplest way to communicate the thing that we need to communicate without any words or anything? Like, what what is that? And we came up with this idea of like the cracker hitting the soup and then the soup exploded, like just full on exploding. And you're probably like, oh, so you do it with CG and you're like, no, we do it. We created soup. It was like a really expensive shoot, but you we had a lead cracker that we made, then the <laughs> cracker hit the soup, and then we oh had a, a very special phantom camera which shoots at like a thousand frames a second. And so it, live, we just went like bloop. But when you, when you slowed it down, it was this really insane, beautiful soup exploding. And then it was this, we, it was a fusion of music because it's a fusion of cracker and soup. It was a fusion of music from Mr. Lonely, the song Mr. Lonely by Bobby Vinton. Okay. It was the cracker. And then Raise a Little Hell. So when they hit, it was like full on Raise a Little Hell. like, <laughs> And for such a boring product with not a heck of a lot to say, it was just the simplest thing you could ever imagine with kick-ass music. And sometimes, and then it ended up getting picked up by the U.S., and so it ran in the U.S. market, but the U.S. market wouldn't let, didn't want the song Raise a Little Hell. So yeah. they did, they subbed in uh, Rock Me Like a Hurricane. Okay. <laughs> Here I, I am, rock me like a hurricane. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But that, and that was like, it was the only thing we did. It was just TV. There were, you know, that was it. And sales spiked. It was the all attributed to this one great, very, very simple idea. So that's like an example. Holistically, what you want to do as a brand to really cut through and win the battle for time is there's this kind of metaphor of Times Square. So on one hand, you've got the top part of Times Square, which is like big legacy bands, brands, expensive real estate, really perfect high production value. And so you think like, oh, it looks fantastic. That must cut through. Mm, no. Because sometimes a little bit too perfect is people mm. are like, if it's too perfect, mm. I don't trust it. Mm-hmm. Now, the other side of Times Square is down below. Down below in Times Square 
is where this is where people can be really aggressive. They can be really nimble. They can be really customized and targeted to an individual on the street and say something. They're like, look at your jacket, right? Like they can be completely customized. But down there, you're like, is the guy with the the fake Gucci is going to be here tomorrow? Like, I don't know (laughs) that I trust that person. So the best place to, to win the battle for time is to be in the middle. And one of our clients was Allstream and their tagline was uh, big enough to deliver and small enough to care. Yeah. So the big enough to deliver is like, oh, we have scale, we have infrastructure, like you can trust us. And so you're like, oh, I respect this organization. I trust them, they're gonna deliver. But at the same time, hot part of Times Square is further removed from the reality of the street. And so you need someone that is in touch with the way people speak, with the way people sound, with authentic communication. So you need to be small enough to care. And when you can combine those two things, you not only cut through and win the battle for time, you develop trust in the process. Because we spent, as marketers, we spent way too much time you know, all adhering to this law of like any press is good press. No, that's Mm. BS. It's not. If Mm. it's just about cutting through, I'll go out and I'll kick a puppy and I'll get on, I'll get on the evening news. Right. Well, it's of course that's not appropriate. So it's not about just cutting through because anybody can do what you can run through a stadium naked and you'll cut through. That's not what it's about. It's about cutting through and being compelling enough to cut through and it's it's uh, cutting through and building trust in the process so that it becomes even more efficient the next time you reach out and even more efficient the next time. Mm-hmm. That's what true brands, great brands do. It's so good. It also feels like you're authorizing marketers to release the pressure of this perfect polished aesthetic, which in an Instagram influencer market, which as speakers, as content creators, you and I, you see those those feeds, those beautiful, everything's in Boca and people are jumping in their, like, you know, all white house with their 97 children and nothing's stained. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. you're just like, good for you, perfect mom, Pam, like thrilled yeah. for that for you. And then you go to your feed, it's a hodgepodge of like, you know, reality. And, and so I think sometimes we can get down on ourselves. And I think that being really judgy about how we're showing up, because it's not the Times Square high level, perfect, polished aesthetic, that that paralysis and that negativity is just, it's its not going to serve us. It's going to block our creativity. And I think releasing ourselves from a standard that, like, for example, like speaker videos, like we're redoing our speaker video right now. And you know, this is like the worst thing ever is creating your yeah. speaker reel. Like in three minutes, you're, it's like, it's like an audition, right? And they're just like, yeah, no, yeah. yes, no. And so, you know, and you have these producers that are like just turning up the douche factor. Like they're like, I'm thinking like a PJ and like a Lambo and a yacht <laughs> yeah, 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 a yeah. rapper. And I'm like, uh, no. Now. And then you have people that are like, just be yourself. Just like talk to camera. I'm like, boring. So finding that sweet spot, whether you're a personal brand or whether you are an executive brand, I think that it's really important for a couple of things. Number one, release this perfect polished aesthetic because it's not as effective anyway. It's further from the mainstream everyman, right? The second thing is that when you talked about the soup and the cracker, what I like about that is there was a couple of things about that campaign. One, there was like the contrast. So, so, so where is that very, very stark contrast of like those two songs, those two aesthetics, right? In that same vein, you also talked about something that's very basic. And so opening our eyes to like, what are we already doing every day anyway, that we can just make 
bigger. Like you were like, okay, it's a cracker in soup, but what if it's a lead cracker in soup? So, so the second piece is like, what are you already kind of doing and how do we just amplify it and make it yeah. bigger and bolder and more explosive, literally. Right. And then the third thing I like about that campaign with, with the soup and the crackers was that the way that you guys approached it is you were like, we're selling saltine crackers. It's literally vanilla ice cream. It's literally white bread. It's literally like, and so, but instead of being like, there's nothing to say, you were like, there's always something to say. Yeah. So I love that example. I think we can take a lot from that, whether we're doing personal branding or enterprise level marketing, it's, it's, it's good stuff. Yeah. Your comments about authenticity are really important. Like I think there's a little secret that we would never tell anybody outside agency land, but if we, when you, when we'd shoot a spot, you know, before when we were back when we were shooting on film and stuff, if a director or DOP ever got a lens flare on the film, they're fired. Like, you don't, what? You just wrecked the shot. If it's in the final cut, you're fired. Like we got to reshoot that. You don't have lens flares. Now, no word of a lie. We consciously put them in. We consciously put them in because a lens flare means imperfection and imperfection leads to trust. If, you know, if there's a little bit of imperfection and it's not too perfect, then you're, you're just a one step removed from the top of Times Square. And it's, you know, I, I call the, like, if you're too scripted and too polished, it's auto tune and auto tune, like, Share is the only one auto tune sounds good at, you know, where like, you know it when you hear it and you're like, they're not that good a singer. Yeah. And there's just something, I know that's not the real them. And so what does the real them actually sound like? Mm -hmm. That's why we started putting breath and microphones. We could hear them breathe, you know, breathing in. Like they would, they stopped editing that out. I noticed that. So you could tell they were really singing like Billie Eilish. You can hear her go like when she's breathing, you know, it's interesting. Yeah. And some of those, some of those great moments I just don't remember what song it was. I remember uh, it was Steven Tyler was being interviewed by Howard Stern. And he talked about like having the, you know, the thing that goes like, when you, when you hit it in your hand, I don't know what the instrument is called, but it's like, and at one point he goes, listen here, listen here, listen here. And and the thing broke in his hand and they kept that in the song. And so one, nobody really notices Two, it gives the song a soul. It gives the song an absolute soul that there's this weird moment of imperfection that actually contributed to making the song more unique. And yeah. when we're, there's nothing more powerful in marketing than a consumer or a prospect saying, huh, I've never seen that before. Mm. Nothing more powerful. I've never heard that before. I've never seen it done that way. Oh, that's cool. I've never heard the person be like that. I've never heard, a. Sh- I've never seen that shot before. Like the very fact that if there's ever a campaign of like a mom or a dad in a car, what is the shot? You see the shot of the person driving them looking up to the rear view mirror and in the rear view mirror, you see the baby in the, in the baby seat, right? We've seen that shot 4 million times. Yep. There's nothing more powerful than somebody saying, I've never seen that before. Mm-hmm. It's so good. It's so good. And so I think the takeaway from this, if you're listening and, and you know, you're an entrepreneur, you're, you're a realtor, you're a network marketer, even if you work in corporate and you had an entrepreneurial mindset to, to take kind of all of Ron's amazing case studies and stories, 
there's this idea of when you're asking yourself, how do I show up? How do I market myself? Even if like a LinkedIn profile, if that's as far as you're going, or if you're a content creator and, and you aspire to broadening your reach to go out on your own or your side hustle. The question is, when, when Ron says imperfection leads to trust, I'm almost picturing like it's like drawing a big line right here. And on one side, you have the BS perfect top of Times Square. Yeah, right. You rented that Lambo. That's not really your house. Bullshit aesthetic, right? And on the other side of this, of this spectrum, you have people that are trying to engineer a sense of imperfection where it is this inauthentic, virtue signaling, TMI sometimes, just, I mean, hashtag hot mess, okay? Hot mess opposite. And so the idea is like, okay, on this spectrum of how you show up to the world, where is that Prius? Where is that hybrid sweet spot that is, to, to recap you from earlier, that is transparent, that is authentic, and that is honest? And if you can hone in on what that feels like for you, that little Venn diagram, you'll be able to step into that with the confidence that knowing that you are going to attract the clients, you will break through the noise. And ultimately, you're probably going to have more fun as a creator because you're releasing these ridiculous expectations that aren't going to serve you anyway. I mean, it really does. It feels good. It feels like a good strategy. I, I love it. Yeah, there's, 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 there's owning it and totally admitting those kind of imperfections, but there's also acknowledgement and like, you got to be more than that like you gotta be more than your imperfections and Mm -hmm. some people are just exclusively sharing the imperfections some people are ignoring the imperfections and um like i have a a little thing that i'll do it's so i'm i'm like as i was late for this recording by a couple minutes but i'm i'm on the go and i'm out with like i'll show up to a meeting if i show up late for a meeting i'll say is this the 906 meeting this is the 906 meeting (laughs) to acknowledge like i know i'm late like I'm totally, I mean, and it's almost an apology that I respect people's time, but it, it's also a kind of a fun way to do it. And then that's the end of it. I don't need to go on and on and on about it. So it's like quick acknowledgement, imperfection. Sorry. Okay. Now I'm all business. Yeah, that's good. And when you're teaching as well, like if you're trying to to share what you know, I think a really powerful phrase is like saying, you know, before this happened, I had this imperfection. Then I realized big realization. And so now I'm able to step into this version. I think it's, I, I like the idea of like, I mean, it's nice to, cause we know you're human. We know that you're not perfect right now, but it's fun to say like, to, to reference past imperfections as a way to be relatable, but then also to surface like the gem that hopefully maybe now you're like a 904 guy, maybe you're a 902 guy, you know, <laughs> cause you've learned, you know, Hey, I, I'm only two minutes late. Cause it's progress, not perfection. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Perfectly. So good. Oh, Ron, I just adore you. You're incredible. Thank you so much for sharing all of your incredible stories and your case studies. You're hilarious. I love your wisdom. I wish I could see you more. You're in Canada, but hopefully our paths will cross in real life in 2023. And your new book is coming out. Can we say when it's coming out yet? Or is it still Uh, in the development? Probably. I'm just in the writing phase. So I think we're probably next, maybe next spring or next fall, the earliest. Okay, well, you have to get your Ron Tight fix with Think, Do, Say on Amazon, all the places you get your books. Follow Ron Tight, follow Church and State, check him out. And if you're lucky, go see him live because you are incredible. Your platform skills are unbelievable. And I'm just so glad you you were here today. So thank you for joining us.
Thanks, Aaron. That was so kind, so lovely. And it was just, I'm honored to be here. And uh, you're, you're so good at this kind of just a great free flowing, natural conversation, which I know your listeners appreciate. And I certainly do appreciate it as a guest. And um, yeah, I can't wait to see you on the road. Sounds good, Ron. Thanks again. Well, it's my hope that our time today with Ron Tite has helped you think a little bit differently about your approach to marketing, your positioning, how you show up with authenticity and honesty so you can attract the attention that you and your brand so deserve. Well, friends, I hope today's episode has helped you to live life both personally and professionally a little more on your terms. Till next time, friends.